Hello and welcome to Sad Girls Against the Patriarchy. I'm Allison. And I'm Alexis. And we are your sad girls. Talking about a biological process today. Something Alice and I both have never been through no. personally. And I'm a little grossed out by it. I'm not going to lie. I kind of am, too. And I feel really bad for that Same. in a multitude of ways. A, as a nurse and B, as a person with these parts, I feel like an asshole. But um, I have also have a traumatizing story that I'm going to slip in here. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> like it slips out, slips in. And slips on in, mm. slips on out. <laughs> it's a very slippery episode in every single way possible. Gross. I really hate how in movies and TV shows, the idea of a birth happening at an inopportune moment is a trope. It comes up all the time in right. all sorts of crisis scenes. Anytime it's like an apocalyptic or a zombie kind of show, there's always going to be a woman who has birth at the wrong time. And it's just so, I skip it now. It's now like, oh, another birth scene in a show. She's wailing and the legs are apart and there's a frantic man and sweat and juices. And I just don't want to see it. And not only that, they always act like it's like, oh, no, ah, uh, and then it like happens immediately. Yeah, five minutes later. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's not how it goes. No, like that is possible, but it is not common. That's called a precipitous birth if labor's under like X amount of time. Yeah. And you just kind of, they just kind of flip out. Um, and the flop out and slide out <laughs> when they just kind of do that quickly. I mean, you hear all the horror stories from women. It's like, oh, I was in labor for like 24 hours. Right. Like that's more common. Yeah. But I, I also feel that there's some guilt because there's got to be some misogynistic undertone here of thinking that this very natural function that we are we are all here because someone gave birth. That's not gross. It's actually quite miraculous. And we should all be very grateful to someone for going through that hellish scenario. So it couldn't be me. Yeah, it could never be me. But we respect all the women who do. Yeah. And now we get to be here complaining about it on a podcast. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. So I got a lot of friends that have been pregnant. Um, some good stories, some bad stories. You know, it's a wondrous process of the life-giving. Yes. Lifeness. <laughs> I don't man. We'll frame it in that tone though. Let's look at it like that from now on out. Yes. And I I'm, mean it is it is like we've talked about in previous episodes. It's like it's very divine. It's very like miraculous. It and it, it, it's it is very cool and we should respect the womb. And in those matriarchal societies, as we've talked about, that's part of why women are so revered is because they have this ability to create life, to produce people. That's yeah. something men just never will be able to do. Yeah. Again, I don't believe in penis envy, but I do believe in womb envy because Seriously. they've been working really hard <laughs> against it. They've got to have a complex about it in some capacity. We're going to start with a really nice letter we got that is an anonymous submission. And I'm going to read it to you because I got permission to read it. And it's nice to hear from y'all. We like knowing that there are people out there listening. It's one thing to see a listen count go up on my Spotify analytics page, but to see some words from another person. To humanize it. Yeah. Make it personal. So she says, hello, thank you so much for all the work you put into your show. I thoroughly enjoy listening and learning new things, as well as hearing the experiences of other women, as difficult as they can be sometimes. The humor of the show and meme page makes learning the hard stuff more enjoyable, which is an important aspect of becoming more informed. Blessed are the shit posters. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, that's my next tattoo. <laughs> that could be a shirt. Ooh, blessed are the shit posters. I love that. One recent meme I related to even more than the others. When you play fight with your boyfriend and suddenly realize that if you ever get attacked by a man, you wouldn't be able to defend yourself. This exact scenario happened to me. And by the way, there were a lot of comments on that meme of people saying, just take self-defense classes. Like, just don't be yeah. weak. No. It's like, <laughs> it. that. as we've talked about, the, the one thing, the quote unquote, one thing men have over us is like they are inherently physically stronger than us. Not emotionally. As right. Determined, right. But <laughs> physically, they have strength on us. And yeah, that meme actually hit pretty hard for me, too, because that's happened to me before. I'm just like he 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 and then I'm like oh shit oh fuck like oh I'm toast yeah I guess if you do have some tactics up your sleeve and they're not expecting it I'm not saying it could never happen that you could overpower some but like don't kid yourself that it'll be easier just because they look weaker they're going to be weaker because that's the way that they're built yeah and self-defense self classes aren't like a get out of jail free card either 
if someone gets you from behind or has a gun or all sorts of stuff, it's not an easy scenario either. Like it could absolutely help you. And I'm not saying you shouldn't take them. Like, absolutely. I think we all should. But it's not a get out of jail card. Right. She says, I recently got out of a very toxic two year relationship with a man. The final scene of which ended after we watched an episode of the show Fargo depicting violence towards women. I told him that the show was really good, but I was feeling anxious after seeing something like that on TV, being a survivor of abuse. My ex took wrestling in high school. We'd play wrestled a couple times, and I'd won both times, formerly having taken self-defense boxing classes. Okay. Nice. Both times we play wrestled were consensual, and I didn't feel physically unsafe at the time. Then the red flag started, first emotional, later physical, driving violently and refusing to let me out of the car and yelling at me after I asked him if we could split the price of popcorn at the movie, grabbing onto me and hurting my arm when I tried to leave. I eventually got his keys away from him and was able to escape, throwing them so he couldn't follow me. Being rescued by two women, I asked for help on the street. One of them happened to be an abuse therapist. Oh, my God. That's divine, though. That I mean, if I believed in such things, like yeah, that's, the universe sent you wow. a helping hand. She said it starts out gradual, then progresses. After several apologies and months-long periods of being friends, telling me how much he'd worked on himself, bouquets and poetry, books left on my doorstep, running into each other when we were out with friends, I gave him another chance. Big mistake. Very ominous. After the Fargo episode, I joked that I was glad I don't have to worry about him hurting me because I'm stronger than him. To which he responded, I let you win. And then without hesitation or warning, pinned me down to the ground in a stress position where I had to claw myself free. I didn't even have time to say no. Once I'd gotten free, I told him that was not okay and abusive, and he needed to leave. Had he not just seen the same episode I had and commented how horrible it was, how men treat women? He told me if I really wanted him to stop, I should have said so. Mind you, he had me pinned on the ground before I even had time to respond. I told him that was physically abusive to get out of my house. He responded by smashing and breaking the Christmas present I had just given him all over the floor, scaring my dog, who shook for half an hour in my arms after he left. It's like a little, that's a, that's a tantrum. That's a childish thing to do there. Smash your Christmas present? My goodness. Yeah. And it's like that meme where it's just like, just because they're not hitting you, if they're slamming doors yeah, and throwing they shit, want it's because be. that's what they want to be doing to you. That's true. Even the short ones that read poetry and bring you flowers and weigh 20 pounds less than you that say you're safe with them, who have good taste, who can point out how terrible it is when other men are violent and say they'd never act that way to you, are still capable of hurting women because so many of them can't stand a woman being stronger than them and will punish her for it anyway. You can't ask a man to go to therapy, but he can ask you to be less. This was the day that you posted, by the way, that you had had a boyfriend tell you not to take a promotion. And I said that in my response. I was like, oh, my God, Alexis just posted that she had an experience with a man where he asked you to be less because yeah. he felt threatened by it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was he was upset that I was taller than him and smarter than him. He said that he's like, I don't like that you're smarter than me. Like, like sounds like a you problem, yeah, bro. Seriously, get also, smarter. you're seven years older than me. <laughs> That's definitely a That's you definitely problem. That's definitely a you problem. <laughs> She closes with, my mother calls these covert abusive men sweater wearers because on the surface they seem warm and fuzzy, the opposite of a jock alpha type, but really underneath they're just as misogynistic as other men. They're just better at hiding it. So from the wisdom of the women in my family, beware the sweater wearer. P.S. My grandmother says, never date a Scorpio man, to which I responded, (gasps) but grandma, you're a Scorpio. She said, yes, dear, but I'm a woman. (laughs) <laughs> the guy I was literally just talking about. <laughs> he a Scorpio. He was a Scorpio. No shit. No cap on God for real, for real. It does make a difference. There's also a meme again kind of to astrology because I'm a Pisces. And it's like, what's the worst astrology sign? Pisces men. What's the best? Pisces women. And it's mm-hmm. such a big – also, I've dated every – water sign man and i will tell you they're all terrible run away no cancers no pisces and no scorpios stay away from them is your husband an is he an aries he's an aries yeah Yeah. i love fire signs obviously everyone i feel like everyone in my life is a fire sign you're a fire sign he's a fire sign my other best friend's a fire sign my mom's a fire sign like i love fire signs all day interesting yeah her email was titled on sweater wearers Man, I am so sorry that that happened to you, and it's so unfortunate that we have to 
go through these experiences to see the potential that men really have. Like you said, it's like someone that can seem so soft and vulnerable and sensitive, but can still throw that out and have it in his back pocket at any time. That's that's the scary part. And that's what we talk about all the time is when men try to pull the not all men. It's like, but I don't know which ones. And actually kind of yes, all men. Mm -hmm. Kind of yes. That's kind of what the story is saying. Yep. But so many of us have been through it. So if nothing else, hopefully it feels a little comforting to know that you're not the only one who's been in that position. Yep. We are going to jump into the physical aspects of pregnancy first. Yeah, we're going to do a little uh, a little dive. I feel like we all know like the basics of pregnancy. And I'm going to go through sort of real quickness, but then I want to kind of get into the stuff that we don't talk about as much, which is like the scary aspects, because Alice and I were just talking about how we're just so flippant about pregnancy. Like, it's like, it's not a big deal if you become pregnant. Like, just have the baby. Give it up for adoption. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just because it's quote unquote natural that it's just easy breezy, beautiful, given life. And it's kind of fucking terrifying. So the duration of pregnancy from implantation of fertilized ovum to birth takes about 266 days. But we don't start the clock usually until the first day of the last menstrual period. So usually... Being pregnant, it's about 280 days or about 40 weeks or 10 months. And I know we always think like nine months pregnancy, but it's actually about 40 weeks, which is closer to 10 months, which I learned. uh, I was in college when I learned that. I was like, oh, it's actually 10 months. Wow. We are not pregnant for nine. Unless, of course, you give birth early. But I'm not going to talk about fetuses too much because it's not about them. It's about pregnancy. But the fetal development stage, so there's the germinal stage, which is week one through three. It's the shortest. That's when the sperm and the egg meet in the fallopian tube, and they create the zygote, and then they take a little journey down to your uterus. And the zygote starts dividing and creating two structures, and then it implants into the uterus. And we're finding out all this amazing science because we're, like, giving a shit now. So we've always been told that, like, the uterus just kind of takes the blastocyte, which is what it's called by the time it gets down to your uterus, and just like accepts it like it's Velcro and it just it's just a passive thing that is done to the uterus. Did you say blastocyte? Blastocyte, yes. It's a cool word. Yeah. Blast blasto usually means like uh It's like a sci-fi term. <laughs> yeah. The blastocyte yeah. enters into the mothership <laughs> of the uterus and implants. Um but yeah, so it's, it was always seen as like this passive action that was done to the uterus. But no no. The uterus can actually tell what is a good blastocyte or not, like which one's going to be viable, which one has like the goods, which one's going to be like ready to rumble in the jungle. So it actually has like a screening process and about 40% are not implanted. So that's a pretty high number. That's 40% are not taken. And And those are fertilized eggs. Yeah. That's don't get taken. Yep. So yeah, it gets fertilized, the egg and the sperm, and then... It's a zygote, and then it turns into a blastocyte that gets implanted. Another thing that we've always been told, and it's not true, which actually inspired us doing this episode this week. We had someone message us in, sending me this video about, we just learned this in 2020. There was a new study that came out in collaboration with Manchester University in the UK and Stockholm University in Sweden that indicates although millions of sperm swim to the ovum or the egg, that the egg has the final say on which (laughs) sperm and chooses. So this idea that the sperm's race, and it's the survival of the fittest, and it's the best sperm that overtakes and, like, wedges itself inside the egg. Again, this passive thing that is done to the female part, and the male part is the one that comes in and dominates and overtakes, is not true. And I'm so happy we are finding all that out. But yes, the egg picks the best swimmer. There's, like, the best ones that end up close to the egg, and then she's like, eeny, meeny, miny, moe, and then picks the best one. We're actually picking it, you guys. What are the criteria, I wonder? I'm sure it's like... What's the healthiest? Yeah, like healthiest chromosomes, which... Same thing when it implants viability. Yeah. Which one... I'm, I don't know which one's the sexiest sperm in all the bunch. <laughs> it's like, that's a good... I like that tail you got there. That's a good one. <laughs> I'm imagining it with a cartoon face. Yes. Like a silly little, like goofy little eyes. All your parts. Thinking like about that. magic school bus kind of energy. Yes. Yes. Mm. It's definitely... It's giving Miss Frizzle right <laughs> <Yeah>. now. <laughs> There's like that shitty meme with all the sperms. It's like, are we going to make it to the fallopian tube? And it's like, no, man, we're going to end up on, and people just keep changing what it is. Like, we're going to end up in a ham sandwich or whatever. I just keep thinking about those little sperms in that meme. Yeah. Um, They look like. Yeah, kind of. They kind of look like tadpoles a little bit. They've got like a little head and a little squiggly tail. They're probably microscopic, though. I wonder if you can even see them with the 
naked eye. So sperm, I don't know, but I just found out, because I know eggs are bigger than sperm, that eggs are one of the biggest cells in the human body, even though they're unicellular, which means they're only like one um, cell big. But they're as big as a grain of salt. So you can actually huh. see an egg with the naked eye. That's cool. Isn't that incredible? Huh. Yeah, I was just always assumed all of this was super microscopic. Tiny. But right. I mean, if you think about a grain of salt, like it's I small. I can think about it. But I can see that. And that's how big it is. And that's incredible. And these sperms are just teeny tiny little tadpole ash shits. Okay. Yeah. Um, and as we've talked about before, you're born with all the eggs you'll... We ever. did have. Yeah, that was a fun episode. That was a fun episode. That's why I didn't want to go too much into like, because we've, we go back and listen. That. Yeah. Go back and listen to our Volva episode. Yes. It's a very, it's a good, it's very informational. Truly. Um, next stage of development is embryonic, which is week three through eight. And now the blastocyte, it's coming back for you. Mm-hmm. Blastocyst, sorry. Blastocyst is now an embryo. And this is the major morning sickness phase. Woohoo! And then we have the fetal stage, which is week nine to birth. And then this is when they start getting all their organs and shit and becoming turning into close to a baby all right so i'm gonna go through some fun parts that happen during pregnancy so we have the uterus which again we've talked about or the womb and it's a pear-shaped organ in the woman's lower stomach that's why you also got this little our little fat pooch here oh okay you know like my you can never get part of my body well no that's why <laughs> i think such baby. bullshit too it's just like literally oh if they don't have a flat stomach it's like Women aren't going to have a flat stomach because we have an extra pooch there to protect our uterus. That, again, gives life. Yeah, even when women are model thin, they do have a little... They have the little pooch. So no one feel bad about this. That is is protecting your life-giving organ, okay? And you're not going to get rid of it, I'm sure, unless you did liposuction. But even then, it's like... I'm sure sure it would come back because it's like, no, Mm -hmm. protect me. You're supposed to have that. Yeah. So the uterus during pregnancy goes from about 70 grams to about 1,100 grams, and its volume capacity increases from 10 milliliters usually to 5 liters. And I know this is the metric know, system, you guys. <laughs> I need a different metric but, here. But 10 milliliters is like a thing of eye drops, basically. Okay. Like that much, like this big. And then 5 liters, we know what a 2-liter soda thing looks like. Ooh. Two and a half of those. That's a lot of soda. Yeah. That's the bigness that we're working with here. This is this amazing transformation. Just this one Multiple organ. bottles of wine. So many <laughs> bottles of wine. Because a bottle of wine is only three quarters of a liter. True. Yeah, that's a, that's a shit ton of <laughs> wine in there. That's what mine's for. It's just for storing wine bottles. <laughs> There's the placenta, which is an organ that develops during pregnancy. And this attaches to the uterine wall and has its own vascular system that gives blood, oxygen, and nutrients to the fetus via the umbilical cord. So it has its own two separate circulatory systems for blood. It's got the maternal placental uh, blood circulation and the fetal placental blood circulation. So we create this whole new organ, which is also part of the um, when the egg and the sperm meet okay. conception sure. portion. It like When it, the cells start dividing, part of the cell division, when it splits into two for the first time, one of them, the cell division, turns into the beginnings of the placenta creation. I thought the placenta was a liquid or something. No, I was the next one I have going now okay. is the amniotic sac, which is probably what you're thinking of, okay. which is a thin-walled sac that surrounds the fetus during pregnancy and is full of amniotic fluid. And it's a membrane that covers the fetal side of the placenta, and it protects the fetus from injury and also helps regulate the temperature. So the placenta is like an organ that is grown for pregnancy that helps that's like what gets all the things from the woman's body to the fetus in its amniotic sac. So it's literally just like a it's like a beefy I've seen one before. It's very beefy, it's vascular, it has its own blood supply and it's what the umbilical cord attaches to that attaches to the mom and the uterus that creates all that that blood supply, that oxygen, those nutrients and gets all that things to the baby. That's amazing. I know, we literally grow an entire fucking organ and an organ we already have gets Enormous. Ah. And we're growing a freaking baby in here. So, placenta, big fucking deal, as we've just talked about. And some of the things that can go wrong during pregnancy are, a lot of them have to do with the placenta. Because obviously this, as I've just explained, sounds really important. So there's placental abruption, which is where the placenta detaches from the uterine wall before delivery, causes deprivation of oxygen nutrients to the fetus, and causes massive vaginal bleeding. So anytime you see in the movies where a pregnant woman is just, like, gushing blood, that's usually what that's probably indicating because that is a thing that can happen. And because you're detaching this really vascular thing from inside of you and ripping it, so you're going to start gushing blood everywhere. This is fun. Are you having so much fun? 
So glad that it's not on my to-do list yeah, to same. have kids. Um, this is emergency, by the way, and you need to have an early delivery and hopefully their baby is viable by that point. And if not, sure. you will lose the baby, unfortunately. There's placenta previa, which is when the placenta partially or totally covers the cervix. And usually this is in the early stages of pregnancy and kind of fixes itself the more pregnant you get because things start shifting around and moving. But if it persists, this is when you'll need to have a C-section and can actually cause bleeding throughout the pregnancy. There's placenta accreta. Um, and typically that's when the placenta detaches from the uterine wall after childbirth. This is when part or all the placenta remains firmly attached to the uterus. So you're supposed to deliver your placenta. And if you don't, that's when this happens. And then what that will turn into is retained placenta, which people don't know this either. I feel like I didn't know this till college. There's another part of giving birth. It's like you give birth to the baby and then you actually have to give birth to the placenta. And your body does the same thing. It contracts, you're having labor, and you push out the placenta after the baby. That's a bummer. Like, don't you think you're done by then? You're ready to just chill. Can you imagine, like, not knowing that either? You're like, yay, my baby. And then you're like, what the fuck? And it literally, this thing is so beefy looking. How big is it? Um, I... Honestly, I don't know, but uh, if I remember, it's like maybe like, let's say like a pancake size sort of thing. And it looks like if you've ever seen organ meat, like a liver or um, something like that, it's it. That's what it looks like. Just like raw, beefy meat. And you're done with that. You need to get that out. Yes, you do. Because retained placenta, because like I said, you're still going to be having those contractions and you need to technically give birth to it. If it's still inside you, your body's still like, oh, I need to get this out. So this is when you will hemorrhage and die, basically. And your cervix will stay open if they're still in there because, again, you have to deliver it. So this is the part where it's really a big fucking deal because either you'll hemorrhage to death or you'll get septic because your cervix is still, like, hanging open, holding on to this thing that you're supposed to pull out, mm. and then you can die. Welcome to Alexis's nursing school story now. Oh, good. This is This is the time oh, I, I plugged it in there. I love horror movies. Oh, man. So um, I already did not really want to do labor and delivery, um, L&D. And I had to do my clinicals, and it was this woman. And you have to check the cervix to how big it is throughout the stages of the early stages of labor to see when we're ready to deliver. 10 centimeters is ready to deliver. Around 7, it's like, let's get everything ready to go because, you know, 10, it's, it's go time. So we check this lady. She's at seven centimeters. The nurse I'm following is like, let me go grab the doctor and get everything ready. I'll be right back. Sends another nurse in to come to keep an eye on her patient while she does this. The nurse is in there not 30 seconds, looks at the patient, goes, oh, fuck. Uh Uh-oh. Not joking, but she like actually cussed. She goes, oh, fuck. Throws back the sheets. The baby's head is halfway (gasps) out. No. It is me and this other nurse. And I am not a nurse yet. I am in nursing school doing my clinicals. So then me and this nurse proceed to deliver this baby. I am holding this woman's legs open and saying, push, and like trying <laughs> not mark? to cry. There's nothing prepared. So things are just like everywhere. Ah. I'm, not, I'm not sterile. We are not gowned up. We are just like, holy fuck, a baby is coming now. That's how it goes in the movies. Yes. And again, this is called a precipitous birth because she was at seven centimeters. And then less than five minutes later, the baby is fucking out. And again, the baby just came on out. Ready to go. Baby was fine. Very cute. Lovely. Yay. Because she delivered so fast, and this is more likely to happen when you do have a precipitous birth, when you do have this birth that happens so quickly, she had retained placenta. So I went to go clean her up to send her up to postpartum, and there was so much blood. And I'm telling ourselves, like, hey, look, I'm not an expert yet, but, like, this seems like an insane amount of blood. And they're like, that is. Clean her up. Look back in a couple minutes. If it's like that again, we're going to have to, like, shit's going to go down. Um, So I go back in five minutes to check her. She's still covered in shit ton of blood. And, yeah, she had retained placenta, and they had to do a DNC on her, which is also um, an abortion technique, actually. So it's where you open the cervix, and you go in, and you scrape out the fetal remains. And this was one of the most barbaric things I've ever seen. Literally just opened her up, put on sterile gloves, had a biohazard bag that was basically a trash bag underneath and just scooped in with the hand and just scooped out all of this placenta and just like threw it in the bag. Metal as fuck. Yeah. And I'm just in the corner like – and the (laughs) husband, by the way, is just like not in here at all. Just, you know. I'm not going to get into the uh, (laughs) social business of this, but it was like her like eighth kid and he was definitely the type that just wanted to – 
pop him out, hmm. you know, and he was just like in the hallway, like on the phone. Wow. Why all of this was happening to his wife who was burying his children. Must be nice. Yeah. And uh, after that, I was like, well, I didn't want to do it before. <laughs> and now I definitely don't want to do it again. Oof. And when I told my colleagues, they're like, wow, that's so cool. Like, no one ever gets to see that. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I would have traded places with any of y'all during that stuff. It's okay to not get to see that. Yeah. You're not supposed to see that. Right. But I'm glad I did in a way because it's like, this is the kind of stuff we need to be aware of when women, like, give birth. Right. Because if you're not delivering that placenta, like, shit's going to go down. Like, they say you need to do it within 30 minutes after childbirth. Mm-hmm. So... It's something to be cognizant of. And again, if you ever find yourself pregnant in the future, this is things that for you to be aware of with your body happening. You probably find that out though, right? Like, don't you read books and take classes or something? Someone's got to tell you. Yeah, but, you know, along with all of these abortion bans, what we're doing is cutting funding to places like Planned Parenthood and other family planning clinics. And when they think about women's clinics, even if they do perform abortion services, they also most of what they do is do family planning services and prenatal care and all of this stuff. So a lot of this abortion ban stuff affects actual children and family planning and women that are pregnant. So we're actually seeing I have stats on this later, but we're seeing a really big repercussion from all of these laws that are taking away funding to clinics that perform abortion services. So, yeah, our education is not awesome. And if you're in a place where, you know, maybe they are super conservative and they don't like talking about this kind of stuff and, you know, it's gross and you just pregnancy is just something done to you and you give birth and you might hear that it's painful, but that's about it. I mean, I feel like a lot of people aren't really in tune with the whole gravity of it and all of the things that can go on and all the things that do change and all the things that are very serious and you may not know about it. Like you could read the books, but usually that's about like child like giving birth Hmm. like you know get on all fours and you know whether you're gonna get an epidural or not a lot of it's not really about or it's like morning sickness is around this time it's not thorough enough no definitely not I had an ex-friend who just got pregnant and was watching these stuff during while she was pregnant and was like freaking out she's like I didn't know it was this bad (laughs) it's like Uh. yeah dude like it's not a joke so other things that can go wrong during pregnancy, it's not just like, I'm pregnant, let's it. Mm. A lot of hormones are obviously happening while you're pregnant. And a big one that's going on is progesterone, which leads to smooth muscle relaxation. So you have a lot of smooth muscle in your body. So a lot of the things that have smooth muscles are things that are like your um, blood vessels. So if your smooth muscles are relaxing, your blood pressure goes down. And because you're pregnant, it can actually shift where your heart is in your body. So there will be things on a pregnant woman's EKG that would be completely terrifying if it was on anybody else's. But because they're pregnant, they're like, that's fine. Like pregnant women getting murmurs is like totally normal and not something to freak out about. But if a normal person has like a heart murmur, they're like, oh, shit, we need to investigate this. I thought only our wombs moved around. No, (laughs) our wombs move everything around is what happens. They were so close. I know. It's like the womb doesn't go around the body. It just uh, moves everything else on the body. (laughs) But it affects our lungs. Um, It increases the amount of oxygen we have. So our babies can get more oxygen. It decreases the amount of carbon dioxide that we have because our babies have to blow off carbon dioxide. So ours goes down so we can absorb the babies. But it also moves our diaphragm again because we fucking pergonat. And it displaces it. So it actually makes it harder to breathe. And a lot of pregnant women actually complain of shortness of breath during pregnancy for all of the above reasons because it's infringing on the lung space. So again, it's just all this other fun stuff. Your GI tract, so this is from your mouth to your butt area. Progesterone again, the smooth muscles are relaxing and smooth muscles are also your bowels. So if they're just chilling and they're not moving the way they're supposed to, which is how they're supposed to work, if your bowels just sit there, that's when you get nauseous. That's part of what the nausea is because if you're eating and drinking stuff and it just sits in your stomach there with all your stomach acid and it's not getting pushed out, that's gonna make you vomit. That's what it makes you nauseous half the time. And then it also makes you constipated as hell because, again, your bowels aren't moving and they're just kind of sitting there. And, again, that increases that as well. Morning sickness. Woo! I'd never heard of smooth muscles before. Yeah. I didn't know that was a type of muscle. There's cardiac muscle, smooth muscle, and skeletal, right? Skeletal muscles. And they're not just, like, smooth in appearance. They're called that for a different reason. They don't just look like I'm picturing a muscle, but it's, like, shiny. (laughs) And smooth, like a smooth brain. No. It's 
<laughs> it's not like, because like when you think about like our muscles, like in our like calves and stuff, they're smooth because they're not like as like bulky. Okay. Right? Because they're like, usually like they line stuff like our blood vessels and our bowels and other parts. Like that's a really, again, I haven't. No, I, just, I believe you. I'm asking the questions that I know someone listening is going to be like, smooth muscles, what? Yeah, skeletal, smooth, and cardiac. Okay, I was right. <laughs> you can keep your job. You <laughs> right. still employed like, as a nurse. Oh, my God. Wait a second. Because <laughs> I usually have to think about cardiac. That's the one that pops up usually in my job. But that kind of fucks up a, a lot of stuff, too. Same thing with you hear about, like, women peeing all the time. That's a lot of it, too, is the progesterone kind of smooth muscling all of the – anything that's supposed to contract normally, like, in a normal way, like your bladder and your bowels and all this, they're kind of just chilling. And, again, it's the pressure of your womb on your bladder making you have to go pee all the time. And your kidneys are super affected by pregnancy as well. Your kidneys can actually grow. I think it's – where is the stat I have here? Um, I don't have this tap, but actually your kidneys can literally get bigger during pregnancy as well, which is to, again, your organs are all fucked up and doing all sorts of fucked up stuff. So wacky. Yeah. You'll appreciate some of these next facts. Um, so a lot of our steroid hormones are increased as well. Like all your cortisol stuff, like all your kind of like stress ones that are similar to corticosteroids, which can cause a lot of issues such as weight gain, moon face. It can also cause hyperpigmentation. So a lot of women after or during pregnancy, their nipples get really dark, um, which is a really common thing. And you'll see a lot of times on their abdomen where they're pregnant, you'll see like sort of like that line on their stomach that's a little bit darker. So a lot of this is coming from the, the hormones as well. And then actually carpal tunnel is very common in pregnancy. Maybe I've just been pregnant for the last two years. Yeah. And this is due to the compression on the median nerve. Because, again, this womb is just pressing on all of your shit. Uh, The way I think about pregnancy is like a parasite growing in you and putting a huge strain on your body. And I said that to a mom in conversation, someone who has two kids, loves her kids. And she said, wow, I've never thought about pregnancy like that. Like how something is growing in you and it's something absorbing your nutrients and taking things away from you and making your life miserable so it can get stronger, you know, like a parasite. But because she wanted to be a mom, loves being a mom, was happy to have kids, that isn't the way that she thought about it, which is good. I mean, it means we're all doing the right things here, her having kids and me not having kids. But it's an interesting perspective shift. I'm like, really? Like, that seems pretty obvious to me. (laughs) Right. But if I guess if it's something that you want and if it's a experience that you've always wanted, then it's not going to be framed that way for you, which is good. Yeah. Because you're like, oh, yeah, there's going to be a kid at the end of this. That's that's like all you're thinking about. Right. Yep. I'm just going to go through really quick some diseases you can get during pregnancy. There's gestational diabetes, which is diabetes that sort of comes on when you're pregnant due to... They don't know exactly why. There's a couple different reasons. Your triglycerides grow up. Your cholesterol goes up. Your insulin resistance goes up. You're gaining weight. Again, all these stress hormones that are there because cortisol can afflict your steroid hormones, which can make you diabetic as well. There's preeclampsia, which is like high blood pressure that happens during pregnancy. And it can also mess up your kidney. You'll get proteinuria, which means there's protein in your urine. Um, And that's if that ever happens. It means your kidneys are fucked up. And you'll know this because if you ever have super frothy urine, like it's like, yeah, like almost like beer head urine, um, that means there's protein in it, which means get your fucking kidneys checked out, everybody. Uh. And it can also be an indicator of diabetes. And then there's eclampsia, which is when someone with preeclampsia starts having seizures because of the increased blood pressure can cause increased pressure in your brain. And then you start having seizures. What's preeclampsia again? So that's when I just told you with the high blood pressure that happens during pregnancy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. When you get high blood pressure in pregnancy, it's called preeclampsia. And it turns okay. into eclampsia when you start having seizures. So the high blood pressure increases the pressure in your brain. And that can cause you to have seizures. Very serious. Yes. Another big one is called HELP, but that's with two L's. It stands for H, so hemolysis, elevated liver enzymes, that's the EL, and then low platelets, LP, and that can sort of just affect all of your bleeding, and it's a part of this cycle as well. There's preeclampsia, eclampsia, and HELP. Preeclampsia is about like 8% of pregnancies, and HELP is like 1% of preeclampsia cases, so a lot of these are pretty rare, but they can be obviously pretty fucking serious. Other issues during childbirth, the one that I want to talk about is perineal tears or episiotomies where you can't get the baby out, so... Either it tears naturally or they cause a tear where they incision it from your vaginal canal all the way to your butthole sometimes to get it out. Babies can be born with asphyxia. So whether their cord gets 
turned around, like pulled around their neck and caused them to stop breathing. Mine was my umbilical cord was wrapped around my neck when I was born. I was born at home too because my mom's oh, one of, of those course. kind of people. Yeah, no drugs, of course. She would never do an epidural. Oh, absolutely like, not. No. <laughs> um, but apparently, my umbilical cord was longer than average, so mm. it did not kill. Which my mom thinks is a miracle from God. That your umbilical cord was longer? Yeah, because it was well, because it was wrapped around my neck, but it didn't cut off my breathing because it was long enough that it didn't uh, strangle me to death. Yeah. And we had a really great midwife there who I met as a kid too, which is kind of fun. She's like, Aww. "I brought you into the world." She's delivered like hundreds or thousands. I don't know. That's her whole thing. Yeah, being a midwife. Yeah, and, and some people are very into that. Yeah, and there was complications too with my older sister's birth. And the midwife was able to solve it. Like, my mom was bleeding excessively with that birth. And it's just crazy to, like, have your kid at home and then have problems and then just keep having your kids at home. Power through. Well, it sounds like she's an amazing midwife. Yeah. And that's what, I mean, midwives are incredible. That would be a cool thing to research, that job and how important that's been throughout history. Yeah. Because it used to be just, like, people that specialize in that. And now it's actually, if you're a certified midwife, that means you have a master's degree in delivering babies like that's an important job you're a nurse that continues on with a master's degree to help people deliver babies like in this capacity like at home without any doctor supervision or with you know without the hospital equipment but trained enough to know the emergency stuff or what to do or take care of it it's incredible and these complications must have been happening i mean they've always been happening as long as women have been having babies and i I know childbirth (laughs) used to be more deadly and more likely to kill you but I bet there were some really wise women who had some very clever tricks of how to save a woman's life. Absolutely. This happened before we had hospitals. Yeah, because men sure shit wouldn't give a shit if we were over there with a fever and (laughs) retaining our placenta. She she wasn't meant to to make it. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, "Uh, oh, well, just get another 14-year-old wife. Moving on. (laughs) It's her time. (laughs) It's what the Lord intended. Um, there's a lot of other, obviously, complications that can happen with the baby. But I just wanted to touch on maternal mortality real quick again in the same vein of us talking about people acting like pregnancy is not a big deal and it's just something you should. And I hate the idea of like people thinking you should be quote unquote punished with pregnancy if you engage in sexual activity, which is wild to me. It's out there. Yeah. Oh, no, that state of mind I just saw today on the fucking comment section where it's just like, if you have sex because you're promiscuous, then you deserve to get pregnant. I'm like, being pregnant's not a punishment. And also a lot. We've talked about this. A lot of people that get abortions are have already had kids or are married. No, shut up. <laughs> I don't understand, too. It's like, men, don't you want to have sex for fun? Who are you going to have sex with if every time a woman is going to get pregnant? Like, nobody wants that. Yeah, a lot of that, again, I'm going to, you'll, you'll never guess what I'm about to say right now. A lot of that's Ronald Reagan here, <laughs> where he created these stereotypes that women are just having abortions as forms of birth control or just having kids to, like, siphon off the government or these all these, like, you know, slutty women around that are just... And it's not it's not true. It's just straight up not true. But there's this idea that comes around that it's just these women that are flagrantly just using abortion as birth control and we should punish women for being sexually active, even though there's also the idea that you should submit to your husband and have all the sex with him. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, but what if that person already has, like, five kids and doesn't want another kid but is married in this quote-unquote acceptable position and then it's just like well then you should just have kids like what's what's your idea here like what's the thought process walk me through it talk to me like i'm a child walk me through what you're thinking here there's no winning Mm -mm. nothing you can do so in the united states the lowest maternal mortality rate that we ever got to was seven per a hundred thousand births in 1987 okay and we've gone up oh yeah The most current number I saw was in 2020, and that was around 17 per 100,000 childbirths. So 17 people per 100,000. And then previously our lowest was 7 per 100,000. So it's getting worse, and we're trying to – there's people that are trying to push things in our legislative to try to improve this. But again, like I talked about earlier, we're cutting all of these fundings to these clinics and women's health care centers that – the numbers are getting worse. They're better than they were. I think 2019, it was um, like 19 per 100,000 births. So we're like going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But it's way worse than it should be. Like we had it at seven in the in the 80s. Right. These things are supposed to get better as technology improves. Right. And even if we had plateaued or changed like, you know, like a, a little, little bit, teeny teeny yeah. bit. But seven to 17. And like I said, I saw as high as 19 in 2019. Damn. 
that's not good. And another stat you'll hear all the time, and this is true, is that the maternal mortality rate for black women is proportionately worse than it is for any other demographic. So the maternal mortality rate for black women was 37.1, which is two and a half times higher than that of white women at 14.7, and 3.1 times higher than that of Hispanic women at 11.1. So actually white women's mortality rate is higher than Hispanic women and then also East Asian women as well. But black women's stats are fucking horrific, and as well as um, American, Indian, and Alaska natives, they have the second highest mortality rate. And a lot of that is just pure fucking racism. That came up when we did the sexism in healthcare mm-hmm. episode of women not being believed and trying to tell their doctors that something's wrong, and then the doctors not taking them seriously. Mm-hmm. And also our healthcare system being so broken in terms of people like not going to the doctor when they need to because they can't afford it. Right. And if minority groups are just lower income, lower socioeconomics, then that's going to bleed into every part of their lives, including healthcare. Yeah. And the sad thing was, um, so again, they try to do all these demographics to try to figure out like, which one is it? And they actually found no changes in more versus less educated black women. Their stats on maternal mortality rate were about the same. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's it's just straight up. It's racism. just straight up. Right. It's it doesn't just even matter if you're. That's so sad. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're like super educated. Um, right. If you're a woman of color, if you're a black woman, you're more likely to die. And your life isn't valued. Yep. Yep. Damn. It's just straight up racist. And I get it. that's a big reason why, too. I mean, I get, you know, a lot of black people don't want to go to the mm-hmm. doctors because they have a distrust in the medical system, which I totally fucking get, like, valid. But at the same time, it's like this kind of stuff happens, but this kind of stuff can happen even in the hospital setting. It's just we need to do better. Yes. My last couple stats. So um, maternal deaths that occurred during pregnancy was 31%. At delivery was 17%. One to 42 days postpartum was 40% of the deaths, which is the biggest amount. And then 43 to 365 days postpartum was about 12%. And they think about 60% of maternal deaths are deemed preventable. Wow. So a lot of it is actually after you have the child is when most of the deaths are happening in this Mm. country. So not dying in childbirth, but complications right after. Yeah. Childbirth is only 17%. Pregnancy is the second highest. So deaths that occur during pregnancy, because something I didn't mention, a lot of it is like strokes, because you're more likely to develop blood clots when you're pregnant for a multitude of reasons. But a lot of it is because, again, those smooth muscles, our blood's not moving as much as it should. So when you're standing up, you get those swollen legs that pregnant women talk about. And when your legs are swollen, or if you have any sort of swelling, that means your heart's not working as well. And your blood's not moving as well. So when your blood's not moving, that's when you develop clots. So a lot of these women are having strokes because the blood clots are moving or pulmonary embolisms, which is when you get a clot in your lungs or heart attacks. And that's a lot of the deaths. I'm going to talk about pregnancy discrimination in the workplace and also employers not giving accommodations. But I wonder how many deaths could be avoided if women were given, like, if they're working an office job, can they be given more breaks to stand up and walk around? Or if they're working a physically difficult job, can they be given more breaks to stop doing that? And there are laws in place, but they're often not respected. Correct. So seeing how serious this is, just as a medical condition, really, we need to be doing more to protect women in their jobs than what we are. Yeah. And that's the thing, too. It's like when you show these stats compared to other, again, I hate these class page like other like westernized countries our stats are horrible and i think that is because of how our working conditions are and like the american work ethic and the things that we talked about how we think pregnancy is like not a big deal and how much we hate women and on that note allison (laughs) i'm gonna hand it on over to you well let's let's take a little break first because that's the thing we do now oh yeah we take breaks okay we are back from our break and i'm going to talk about Pregnancy discrimination in the workplace. More bad things that happen to pregnant women. That's, and what, you in, that's what you turn in for, though, right? Like, right? T- turn in. Tuned wait, in. Tune in. Tuned in. Tuned in. Or maybe I was like, why, in. Is this, why does this sound wrong? Maybe they've like, turned in for the night. Yeah. Like they're getting sleepy. Yeah. This is what you're tuning in for is for all the bad news. There are laws that protect pregnant women, but. There are still really high instances of pregnancy discrimination. According to the CDC, about 29% of women have experienced discrimination while receiving maternity care, and those reports of discrimination were highest among 
black women at 40%, multiracial, about 39%, and Hispanic women at 37%. The Pregnancy Discrimination Act of 1978 is a U.S. federal statute that amended Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which prohibits sex discrimination on the basis of pregnancy. Prior to that, they didn't consider pregnancy discrimination to be sex discrimination, which is of a little... Course. <laughs> of course they didn't. Yeah, a little, a little sus. In fact, um, this law was passed as a response to the Supreme Court's decision in 1976 when that court ruled that pregnancy discrimination was not a form of sex discrimination. So I guess Congress, I thought the Supreme Court had a lot to do with passing laws. I'm sure they do. But I guess Congress can disagree with them and pass a law in response to one of their decisions. I don't really know how I don't look. Work. Yeah. Because <laughs> it was, uh, this is what well. I read. It was like, okay, Supreme Court ruled this. And then Congress was like, no, actually, I do not agree with your choices, Supreme Court. So we're going to pass this other law so that it doesn't go down that way in future. The Pregnancy Discrimination Act, which they have abbreviated to PDA, which is kind of like, <laughs> PDA already means something. <laughs> it's a public display of affection. Right. Maybe that'll lead to your pregnancy. <laughs> Gross. Um, <laughs> Sex is disgusting. <laughs> I was just telling Alexis this, but I've been watching Doctor Who a lot. I'm going to, nobody stalk me, but I'm going to the con that's happening in February. There's a Doctor Who, like, comic. I guess it's not a comic Comic-Con is like its own thing. Right. When I think of a it's convention. A, it's, it's a con. Uh, yeah. Which is convention. Yeah. But it's in my mind, Doctor it's, Who con. It's, a, it's a Doctor Who Comic-Con. Yeah. Because that's what a con is. Right. But I don't know. I don't know how these things work. So I will know by by the end of this month. But um, yeah, do, the doctor is just kind of grossed out by sex and talks about romance in such confused, sterile terms. <laughs> Repulsed by it. It's adorable. I'm in Matt Smith's era right now. The best. Yeah. My no, boyfriend. I'm more, I'm, I'm more but, a tenant. But, but now that I'm rewatching this, I just didn't like Matt so much at the time because he was replacing Tenant. And he might have been my favorite doctor had I started in a different order. He's hot and he's like silly. He's like he's goofy. He's a hipster he's a doctor. Man. I, I was like obsessed with him for like two years straight. Yeah. Has our mutual friend N shown you the scene from Morbius where he's dancing to the song? Um, sex, have sex. I, Everyone go watch that. Yeah. I, um, Fucking hilarious. Matt Smith dancing Morbius. Yeah. I watched it on someone's phone. I was drunk because I kept talking about it. I was like, this is stupid. <laughs> it is, but it's great. It looks like a fan edit. Anyway, PDA. The Pregnancy Discrimination Act. <laughs> it says that pregnancy is considered a temporary disability in the eyes of the law, meaning that the treatment of pregnant employees falls under the same jurisdiction as disabled employees. And treating a pregnant employee in any way that would violate disability standards is also a violation of this act. So 1978, we have this federal law that is passed. And then in 1993, the Family and Medical Leave Act mm -hmm. Becomes a thing which requires covered employers to provide eligible employees with job protected unpaid leave for qualified medical and family reasons. And that includes getting pregnant. So if you're eligible, you can take up to 12 work weeks of unpaid leave during a year to care for a new child or for a sick family member or to recover from a serious illness. This one's abbreviated to FMLA. And it was a major part of President Bill Clinton's first-term domestic agenda, which he signed into law in 1993. You know Clinton, that family guy, <laughs> always looking out for family values. Yeah, you know that one. That one. But this only applies to covered employers and eligible employees, which means the employee must have worked for their employer for at least a year, have worked at least... 1,250 hours over the past 12 months. I don't know why they chose that number. I divided it by eight, and it's 156.25. Like, I, I know why. Oh, good. Why? It's like it's part-time. It's like the least amount you can work. Because uh, that's what uh, I work. It's 24 hours a week. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. So you that's have to maintain. Arbitrary. Yeah, you have to maintain that at least. Right. Okay. Yeah. The employer must also have at least 50 employees within a 75-mile radius. So that's not everyone there's a lot of small businesses most of the places i've worked don't qualify for that yep but fortunately several states have also passed laws that provide some additional leave 
And then the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act was first introduced in 2012 and then finally passed by Congress in 2022 and just went into effect in June of 2023, which says employers are required to make reasonable accommodations unless those accommodations impose undue hardship on the business. And that whole hardship when those yeah. words get in there right that because can, that's a, that's opinionated that's yeah. not like a concrete thing you can live by you can be like well this is causing me undue hardship you yes. can say that all you want yeah there was something like that when we were looking at roe v wade too where there was an abortion law that was like yeah, yeah reasonable terms or something right what is reasonable right i don't know but the pregnant workers fairness act also says that the employers can't take any adverse actions against their employees who request these accommodations a lot of this I found out is just kind of best case scenario because I listen to a lot of yeah. podcasts with lawyers um, who were saying that their whole job is to deal with employees who have experienced discrimination despite all of this. Yeah. There was an interview with Daphne Delvaux. What a beautiful name. Daphne Delvaux. Delvaux. She's a trial attorney who focuses on women's rights at work and advises women who are pregnant and navigating their rights at work. And she says that it's really hard to prove pregnancy discrimination because it's not like you show up to work looking pregnant and then they fire you. And they give another reason is the right. thing. They don't say we're firing you because you're pregnant. Right. They say it's usually absenteeism or indolence will be the reasons. So it's like you're not here on time or you just don't have a good attitude. And then they use that as the excuse. But she'll look for circumstantial evidence, like trying to compare how you were treated before you told your employer you were pregnant versus after you told them. Like, are they holding you to different standards now? Are they acting frustrated with you when you ask for accommodations? And she talked about the kind of comments that employers will make. It's a lot about anticipating there will be a problem rather than mothers actually slacking on the job. Right. They're just making assumptions of like, oh, no, now that you are going to be a mother, you're not going to be here for us. We can't depend on you. Yep. Again, it's just making a hostile environment for pregnant people, even though we care so much about babies. We just want (laughs) we should just have babies, but we don't care about moms at all. Instead of firing you and having to potentially deal with a lawsuit, they might just make your work life uncomfortable and more challenging in hopes that you'll quit and they can replace you with a man. Mm-hmm. She actually recommends this lawyer telling your employer very early that you are pregnant and that you plan to come back if you do plan to come back because you want to give them as much reassurance as possible that they don't need to make your life hell. <laughs> So that's that's got to be extremely stressful. Yeah, I I just don't understand that mentality. Like I have a lot of coworkers that have been pregnant and like I don't know, to me it's not a big deal and I feel like they just already have it in their mind like they have to do everything and I have to stop them and be like, "No, please don't actually lift this really heavy thing." Mm-hmm. Like, "Oh no, please don't actually go into that room with this person with like I have to stop them because I'm like, stop it. But they're trying to compensate because right. they're worried about this judgment. Right. And they want to be like, look, no, I can. I can. Mm-hmm. It's like they're trying to prove something. And I'm like, no, <laughs> stop it. Yeah. <laughs> it's also really confusing, the laws, because Daphne says that you should try to read about what rights you have under your state law because it does differ by state. And you might be protected by the Family Medical Leave Act, but that's only if you work for a large enough company and if you've been there for long enough. So it's kind of a puzzle, and this is why lawyers have uh, – this can be their whole focus is just helping women navigating their rights. As a pregnant person, she actually says don't ask them their specific policies. Like don't go to HR and ask them Mm-mm. for their policies. Go in armed with the knowledge of what your rights are under your state law. That's genius. It sounds overwhelming, though. I mean, you're busy growing a person. And again, this is what we're talking about. It's like, I can't imagine all this stress is particularly good for the mom or the baby going Ooh, in yeah. on all this. And like, we already have this. This is very American. And because in other countries, which I don't know if you're going to talk about this, but in other countries, again, westernized countries, yeah. even in actually countries all over the world, they actually give you paid time off giving birth or being pregnant. Most countries in the world give you paid time off for being a mom. Or a dad, or both. Your employer isn't required to tell you about your rights here, um, so you just got to <laughs> wow. figure it out on your own. I wonder when that can... <laughs> wow, wow, wow. <laughs> this applies to fathers, too, because they might have rights to paternity leaves that mm-hmm. their employer never Won't tell them. tells them about. Yeah. 
So speaking of fathers, you're going to love this. Uh, according to the New York Times, men get a 6% pay increase mm-hmm. when their wife has a child. But for women, each pregnancy shaves 4% off their salary. Yep. The idea behind men getting the pay increase is like, well, they're the breadwinner now. They um, are going to feel a sense of responsibility. They're motivated. Mm-hmm. So we want to... We want men to be fathers. Like, they're going to be responsible and settle down, and they want to make all the money. They're going to work really hard. Yeah, to provide for their family, even though it's like we don't live in that type of society anymore where women don't work. And this whole idea that women are going to become less productive employees is a mess. In fact, research shows that mothers and fathers are more productive workers than their childless counterparts. I believe it. Yeah, so there isn't actually any evidence that women become less capable as employees. I think it's that American work ethic where if you ask for like any sort of accommodation at all, people yeah. just like roll their eyes and be like, oh, you just, it's like, right. you just automatically assume you're like not a hard worker because you're mm-hmm. like, hey, can I sit for like two fucking minutes to put my feet up because um, I'm literally swelling and my ankles and I just need to like not have a blood clot right now. And they're like, this is ridiculous. Right. Stanford researchers sent out 1,200 resumes to prospective employers oh, as part of a go. study. For half of them, the applicant indicated, applicant, quote unquote, indicated that they were a mother. The managers were twice as likely to call back the childless women. In another study, visibly pregnant women, evaluators would rate them as less reliable, less dependent, and less competent. Just because they were visibly pregnant. Less competent. Like, what does that have to do with anything? It's wrong, but I I could see at least the logic of they're not going to be as reliable as employees because they're going to prioritize their kid. But less competent? Come on. Again, it's just the thing of maybe needing an accommodation. So because you're not, like, adhering to the strict Mm -hmm. idea of, like, what the work vibe is, you're not, like, the perfect little robot machine that's sticking to their plan, then you're all of a sudden a problem. I'm sure that's what that stems from. Something else that's bizarre is that we should want women to procreate so that we can, like, continue the species. Yeah, but <laughs> kind we, of, like, necessary. We, like, kind of, like, really, like, hate women in this country. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, like, everything we do. That's the thing. It's so hostile. Just living here is hostile towards women. That's what I don't – people that don't see that are – I. it blows my fucking mind. Mm-hmm. In the U.S., the birth rate has been falling. It's been dropping almost 23% between 2007 and 2022. And today the average woman has about 1.6 children. You know, that 0.6 child who's Uh out there with no legs, Um, which is down from three children in 1950 and Uh significantly lower than the replacement rate of 2.1 children that's needed to sustain a stable population. And yet we don't make it easy. For women to take time off and have kids. Nope. Germany is one of those other European countries that's doing so much better than us. Like you were saying, people being paid to take time. Uh-huh. So they offer a parental allowance. And for up to a year after the birth or adoption of a child, uh-huh. the parent will make about 67% of their prenatal income, which can be between 300 and 1800 euros per month. And the payment can be extended to 14 months if the second parent also takes a leave from work for at least two months. Since the introduction of the measure in 2007, it's increased the labor force participation of mothers with children from 43% to 56% in 2019, according to a government report. I know, right? This is so, wowee. It's almost like if we treat people like people and accommodate them and give them resources, then they'll perform better and want to work more. It's also brought more men into childcare as applications of fathers for the parental allowance more than doubled in that time period. So more men are wanting to take time off and have that paternity leave when it's available to them, which would obviously make the mother's life more. It's going to be easier if she has an active partner. Right. That's another part of this, too. Again, it takes a fucking village. (sighs) Yeah. I just I listen to there are a lot of anecdotal stories of women just talking about the way that their bosses treated them. The New York Times interviewed this woman who worked in stocks as a trader and God um, in a boys club. Uh huh. Yeah, she said that there was a BBC article that came out that talked about how women's brains work differently when they're pregnant after they have a kid, and her boss brought it up in front of everyone and directed it to her like, "Oh, hey, Susan, did you read this article?" And <laughs> just put her on the spot. Um, And that her career plateaued 
after she had kids and she asked for promotions and she'd been on a track and then it just changed everything. Even though she didn't cut her hours, she made every effort to just work harder. She had childcare starting at 7 a.m. and her husband was able to help with picking up the kids after school. So she actually didn't even change her work ethic and even worked harder. And it still just shifted the whole trajectory of her career. Yep. Yeah. I mean, they don't want to be reminded that you're a woman. They also interviewed a woman who worked at Walmart who asked for accommodation so she didn't have to do so much heavy lifting because she got pregnant and they wouldn't do it and just threatened to fire her. And then she had complications with her pregnancy because she was doing all of this physical labor while she was trying to work and keep doing her job, which I'm sure she was capable of doing with some shifts, but we don't do that. We don't do that for people. We don't treat them like humans. No. And same thing. It's like pregnant women can still lift stuff, but it's like there's a weight limit because you don't want the placenta to tear. And there's already significant back problems with pregnant people because, again, everything's getting displaced and there's extra weight and all this shit. It's like, and again, it's temporary. This isn't forever. Like, this is Mm -hmm. a temporary state. Yes. Be fucking empathetic. Be a fucking human and just... Jesus fucking Christ. I hate this place. Get me out of here. We're not the only place that has this struggle. Um, I did read about there, there were these psychology studies that were surveying Japanese women. And they said that while there aren't nearly as many pregnancy discrimination lawsuits filed in Japan, it's still a problem. There just isn't as much because of the low compensation, there aren't as many lawsuits filed in Japan. So I guess it doesn't usually pay out. Yeah. Yeah. America, it says that in a lot of things I read, too. It's like, as far as our justice system is concerned, as far as lawsuits, we our payouts are much higher than right. other countries. So it's worth it. We're much more litigious <laughs> than yeah. the uh, other country. We are. Yeah. They said there were approximately 40,000 pregnancy discrimination lawsuits filed in the U.S. over the past 10 years. But this was a survey of Japanese women. They surveyed them while they were pregnant and then followed up postpartum. So about 24% of the participants experienced pregnancy discrimination during their pregnancy. And after adjusting for potential factors, the discrimination was significantly associated with postpartum depressive symptoms. Oh, Yeah. And then I looked into that research a little bit, and it turns out that prenatal and postpartum depression is really not good for your kid either. It increases the chances of premature delivery, of impaired mother-child bonding, and even infant death and hospitalization in the first year of life. And they also found this correlation between discrimination and postpartum depression. That was repeated in a U.S. study where they surveyed 252 pregnant women who were employed full-time and found that perceived discrimination was indirectly associated with low birth rate and low gestational age in babies which was caused by the mother's stress level during pregnancy. Wow. So there's actually a physical consequence to causing mothers this stress. But we don't care about science and and data. Right, right. (laughs) I mean, it's been established in multiple studies that workplace bullying adversely impacts mental health. And so these researchers are making the point that pregnancy discrimination is a form of that. Yeah. And then there's also a link between the mother's mental health and the baby's physical health. Not only is pregnancy discrimination very common, but it also hurts both the mother and the child. Yeah, I think it's going to be a while till we are better on that because I think we're just now accepting that mental health can be physically harming. Right. Like we're just getting to that point. The score. Absolutely. But <laughs> accepting that, you know, pregnant women are also people is going to take a long time right. to get there. Right. So the pregnant body keeps the score. Yeah. Uh, I'm also not surprised to hear that about Japan. I feel like they have a very similar work ethic to us. That's true. Um, very, you know, work, 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 work. And the more you work, the like more you flex. Sure. <laughs> like, right. You only worked 40 hours last week. Pussy, I worked 80. Yeah. Like, I, I'm not I don't understand. Can't, yeah. It couldn't be me. Hustle and grind. No, thanks. <laughs> I mean, I like working and being yeah. productive, but right. that kind of like slave to the corporation right. bullshit, I, I can't vibe. No. That's all I got. We did it. We did it. Sorry if we offended any pregnant people. 
we I don't think mad no mad respect for women who go through that. Yeah, I I can't imagine. And just reading all of this again today, I was just like, Jesus Christ! Like, what a hostile world mm-hmm. that you live in, both in your own body and outwardly. It's horrible. And you do this awesome thing. You create life, and you bring a little a little baby into the world. That should be praised, and you should be taken care of through that whole process. Yeah, we need to like worship pregnant women more. Bring it back to the matriarchal societies. Like, build statues of pregnant ladies. The womb is a divine (laughs) gift from above. (laughs) I agree. I am Miss Andrist Memes on Instagram, and I am TX Goth GF, and we are Sadcap.podcast. You can email us like our friend did today at sadgap.podcast at gmail.com. Send us a question, comment, anything at all. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, and if you could give us a little review on all of the podcast platforms, whatever you're listening on right now, and on Apple Podcasts, if you could write us a little review, we'd really appreciate it. Rate, review, subscribe, share with a friend. Everyone has a mother, and we should take care of all the mothers out there. And we're stronger together. We'll see you next time. Bye.